Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to another new episode of New Books in Islamic Studies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Shobana Xavier. I hope you are staying well and safe wherever you are, and thank you so much for joining us today. As you know, our podcast on New Books in Islamic Studies, which is part of the New Books Network channel, features a new book that has been recently published and is relevant to the field of Islamic Studies, and we chat with the author. Today, we are joined by Dr. Jessica Baldanzi, who is a professor of English at Gershon College, and Dr. Hussein Rashid, who is a contingent faculty member at the New School and founder of Islamiket L3C, a consultancy focusing on religious literacy and cultural competency. In their co-edited volume, Miss Marvel's America, No Normal, published by the University Press of Mississippi in 2020, Baldanzi and Rashid focus on the superhero Miss Marvel or Camilla Khan. The first Muslim superhero to headline her own series, the t- teenager Kamala Khan is also a second generation Pakistani immigrant who lives in New Jersey. Her complex identities and storyline in the comic worlds of Marvel welcomes a multifaceted exploration, one that exists at the nexus of religion, gender, culture, race, and much more. By bringing together scholars from a range of disciplines, including literature, cultural studies, religious studies, pedagogy, and communications, to name just a few, the edited volume engages in a fascinating conversation around the character of Ms. Marvel. The book contains accessibly written essays from and about diverse voices on an array of topics such as fashion, immigration, history, race, and fandom. The volume also includes an exclusive interview with Ms. Marvel author and co-creator G. Willa Wilson by gender studies scholar Dr. Shabna Mehr. This text is a fantastic classroom resource that can work in numerous courses on Islam, such as those that focus on gender or American Islam, to broad courses on religion, such as religion and popular culture. This edited volume is also useful text for educators, such as those who are based in primary and secondary school, who may want to incorporate Ms. Marvel in their own curriculum. In our conversation today with Dr. Baldanzi and Dr. Rashid, we spoke about how this project came to, together. They discussed their own approaches to comic books and broadly popular culture in their respective disciplines while providing some pedagogical tips on how to use this book and the character of Miss Marvel in various courses. So, without any further delay, here's my conversation with Dr. Baldanzi and Dr. Rashid about their new edited volume, Miss Marvel's America, No Normal. Hi, Jessica and Hussein. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about Miss Marvel's America, No Normal, um, your new edited volume, which I'm really excited to 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 have a conversation with you about. So thanks for joining us today. Good to be here. Thank you, Shabana. Yeah, um, so uh, you may may or may not know that we have a tradition on the New Books in Islamic Studies podcast, which is essentially that 
we like to start with a little bit of an autobiographical note from our guest um, before we get into the project. Um, and so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about um, who you are, your kind of academic backgrounds, and what led you to collaborating on this project together. Jessica, maybe we could start with you. Sure. Um, well, I teach at Goshen College, which is a small liberal arts college in Goshen, Indiana. Um, and we do have a religious affiliation. It was, it's a Mennonite institution, very progressive um, Mennonite institution um, that my husband actually graduated from. Um, and I partly ended up here because my husband and I met in graduate school down at Indiana University, Bloomington. And when a job came up here, um, it was, it, it worked out for all of us to just, um, I'll move back here. My husband teaches here too, um, but I did not grow up in this affiliation, but I've um, grown to really appreciate the interfaith activism um, that goes on here. Um, so my PhD was in, um, it was called, uh, my dissertation was called Representations of Eugenic Ideology, and it was in fiction. Um, so a lot of my graduate work was about representations of women's bodies um, and the female body, especially in fiction. Um, so when I came here, I was trying to keep working on some of that stuff from my dissertation. I came here about 15 years ago. Um but it wasn't really continuing for me. And then um, I had kids, so I kind of, you know, got out of stuff for a little bit. And when I came back, um, I was working more in comics and kept teaching a comics class every couple of years and just started to get more interested in finding out how to make that work um, for my academic writing as well. So this, this particular project for me began when I, I'd been presenting on comics at some academic conferences yearly for a while. And I was so intrigued when Ms. Marvel came out because when I first started teaching my comics class back in 2008, I really had trouble diversifying the reading list um, in many ways. It was still a lot of white guys, all of whose work I adored, but um, I wanted to, to start to complicate that. And so I was so happy when Ms. Marvel came out that she was quote unquote diverse, however you use that term, um, in so many different ways. So I w started working on a conference paper about her and just started to realize that I, I had a lot of holes. <laughs> if I was going to write about her and do her justice, um, that I needed a little bit of help. So I, I contacted my friend Shabana Amir, um, and we had met in graduate school, which is a long story, which I'm happy to go into. It's not really relevant to academic work. Uh, we met at, you know, a, a job counting ballots for the, um, uh, for an election of, um, trustees at Indiana university, which is a whole funny story in itself. Um, but I contacted her asking her if she knew anybody, um, who worked in comics who I might be able to, um, run some questions by and make sure that I was doing justice to the character and to the work. Um, she mentioned Hussein and I got in touch with Hussein with some specific questions 
And then after I presented the paper, I saw so many papers on Ms. Marvel because so many people were excited about her. And I just said, hey, Hussein, you want to work on a book together? And happily, he said yes. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a wonderful, wonderful process. Does that answer most of the questions? I wonder if Hussein should have gone first because he knows um, more, better than I do, how this kind of history goes. Is there anything that should be included? No. No, I think that was perfect. Um, Hussein, do you want to fill us in on your own trajectory and what led you to talk this topic and maybe fill in? more on what Jessica has said about how this project started. Yeah. Um, first of all, I really do want to thank uh, Jessica for reaching out uh, and in encouraging me and inviting me to do this project. I really had a ball on it and Shabana Mir for connecting the two of us. So my own intellectual trajectory um, is a little bit more convoluted uh, or maybe not. Uh, I uh, am the child of immigrant parents born and bred New Yorker. And uh, as a result, uh, being a good South Asian child, firstborn child, uh, I was actually pre-med in college, mm-hmm. where I took an intro to Islam course uh, with uh, at Columbia College, Columbia University, with a man named Peter On, God rest his soul. And I absolutely fell in love with him, his teaching style, the content, um, and I basically took every course that he offered, and he introduced me to uh, another woman in... Um, uh, at the school named Rachel McDermott, uh, both of whom uh, then ended up becoming very dear advisors to me during my undergraduate years. And they both encouraged me to go out to graduate school and leave the pre-med track. Um, and so I went on uh, to uh, Near Eastern Languages at Harvard, working with uh, Ali Asani, Steve Caton, Virginia Danielson. And uh, my original project was working on uh, a form of Muslim devotional literature called Ginans, and looking at how colonial logics in India and East Africa, where both of these, uh, where this uh, community known as the Ismailis uh, is practicing this literature, looking at how the colonial logics of religion in South Asia and of race in East Africa affected the development of the Ganonic literature. And in that process, I really fell in love with another form of devotional literature called Kawali. And Kowali brought me then to looking at Kowali and diaspora. So actually I ended up, my dissertation ended up being on Kowali in the United States and in England. And from there that launched a real interest on Muslims and popular culture. And I write uh, fairly frequently for public, uh, non-academic sites, I should say. And um, I had written a couple of pieces. By the time Jessica had approached me, I had written a couple of pieces uh, for places like CNN about what Miss Marvel meant. Um, and so it was easy for me to take some of those ideas that have been percolating in these shorter, you know, thousand word uh, spaces uh, and try to think about what it would look like as a book. And uh, Jessica was really receptive to that. And I think one of the things that we settled on early, and I hope is evident in the book, is that Miss Marvel is fascinating. But as Jessica said, this question of diversity and difference is really the key thing. So how did we, how could we turn Miss Marvel as an entryway into looking at what the humanities is and does? And so you'll see that all our contributors are coming from these very different disciplines. And sometimes we're actually all talking about the same thing, mm-hmm. but none of us in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was really part of the joy in working on this volume. Yeah. 
And I mean, I definitely saw that when I was uh, reading the book. Um, you know, sometimes you're talking about the same situation or the same comic or this, even the same panel, of, you know, of a comic. And then you hear all these different views and you're just constantly kind of, whoa, how did I miss that before, right? And so I think it's so exciting. And the collaborators that you've all brought, like, brought together are just such a rich text and I'm so grateful for it. Um, I, I also realize that people may not know who Miss Marvel is. Um, which is an odd thing to say, but maybe there, you know, we have quite a bit of an international audience, so this may be new to some folks. Um, so what would you say, you know, how would you introduce this character or this comic to folks who are um, just hearing about it for the first time? I don't know, Jessica, if you want to start first? Sure. Um, I, I don't know, maybe maybe Hussein should start. Okay, go ahead, Hussein. <laughs> you can All right. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine, Jessica. I'm, I'm happy to take your lead. It's worked so well. It's worked for us uh, well so yeah. far. Um, so, Miss Marvel is uh, a hero in uh, the Marvel universe. So, there are basically two big uh, comic book publishing companies in the United States: Marvel Comics and DC Comics. There are lots of smaller ones, but these are the two big ones. And Marvel Comics has a character by the name of Miss Marvel, and that title. That heroic title was initially worn by a woman named Carol Danvers. And what happened was, over time, Carol Danvers' character uh, changed and transformed, and more people may be familiar with the character of Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel because of the Marvel movie that came out a couple of years ago under that name. Um, and Kamala Khan, who is this uh, young woman uh, of Pakistani descent living in New Jersey, idolizes Captain Marvel. And at some point, she's granted these superpowers and takes on the moniker of the former moniker of her idol and takes on the name Miss Marvel. So this is the first time that there has been a Muslim character in uh, the Marvel Universe who is headlining her own series. Um, and it was written and edit, written by G. Willow Wilson, who's Muslim, and edited by... Uh, Sana Amanat, who is also Muslim. The series, uh, Wilson left the series. The series is now being written by another Muslim, uh, a man by the name of Saladin Ahmed. But our arc really looks at sort of that first year and a half of Miss Marvel's entry into the comic universe. Okay, that's really helpful. Jessica, did you want to add anything? I think Hussein is really good at those kinds of summaries. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to work with him because of that. Yeah. So the, the entire edited volume then really then comes together and focusing on this this character and kind of the complexity of this character. And and I wonder if we could talk about the organization a bit and, uh, and how it came up. Um, there's really four parts, but I guess five if you include the last interview and the coda section, the conversation section. Um, and so maybe, you know, what are, what are some general themes or ideas that you're trying to cover in these four different or five different sections of the book and how did they come up? I think what was so great about building this book is that there was just a lot of give and take. And uh, Hussein, tell me if, if you have a different impression of this, but you kind of reached out to a lot of scholars you knew. I reached out to a lot that I knew who were working on this. And, and I think we largely figured out the categories after we saw what we had, right? Is that the way you remember it too? That, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, one thing that our editor was pushing us for is to make sure that we had enough of a, of a precursors section. Um, and Vijay Shah, uh, Shah, who no longer works for University Press of Mississippi, he was our um, initial editor at the time, and he helped us shape the book as well. And he wanted to make sure that people knew about that 
kind of confusing if you're if you don't know the history of comics and i and even if you do it's still confusing the whole carol danvers and captain marvel to ms marvel thing um he wanted to make sure that that there were enough essays on that um and then we kind of we kind of just shaped it from there and i had also asked shabana if she was interested in writing an essay and she was pretty busy at the time so she said how about an interview so that was a lot of where that came up as well. And same thing with um, Jose. He's he's a friend as well. And I said, are you sure you don't want to contribute something? And he contributed a comic instead of an essay because he also had a lot of other stuff going on. And I was just going to say, I think I think that part of what that interview and the essay do, and, and hopefully you see throughout some of the other essays and in our introduction, is that a lot of the scholars we went to were people who also see the potential real-world impact of what it is we study and what what this means to people. And so for us, the interview and the comic felt like a natural extension uh, of that sort of work. This is real. This is human. It's not abstracted. Yes, we're dealing with a fictional character, but it's a fictional character who it means something to people. Um, and so for us, it just really felt like an organic extension of that sort of work. Absolutely. And I think in, in comic studies as well, there's a little bit more of a breakdown. It's it's okay to bring in a little bit of fandom <laughs> as well, maybe more so than in a lot of more traditional uh, literary areas of study. Um, so that made it that made it okay to kind of have something like that in there instead of having to maintain this kind of lofty literary supposedly objective but it's not really objective perspective as well i mean as a reader reading it it just felt like that's where it belonged and it would just felt so natural and organic and so i really did appreciate um, having you know to be able to hear from um shogna and um Mir, uh, and willow wilson at the end as well right just to hear the process of creativity um and so you both have a section um you both have contributed chapters in part two of the book, which is uh, titled Nation, Religion, Identity, and Community. Um, Hussein, you have um, a, a contribution that really is thinking about Miss Marvel and the idea of immigrant identity. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about um, what you do in your chapter contribution to this edited volume? Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my chapter is really about Miss Marvel uh, as an immigrant. Uh, this is, again, hearkening back to some of the work that I was doing earlier on Kowali in the U.S. and thinking about how immigrant identity is formed particularly in the racial logics of the United States, uh, which, you know, is a highly racially stratified society. Uh, and so this was a way to think through where Miss Marvel is positioned and what are the things we are seeing and not seeing because we're so focused on her religious identity and remembering that she's a Pakistani said, how do we read that? But I think for me, my essay came also after uh, we'd received several of the other essays. And one of the things that had kept coming up was this idea of hybridity uh, and hybridity as a theoretical construct. And I know there are numerous ways and critiques in which we can approach this. Um, but for me, in thinking about the hybridity process, it's very important or the hybridizing process, it's very important for me to ground the reality in which that hybridization is occurring because it is about power dynamics and unequal power dynamics. And so I, I had to ground Kamala Khan's identity in her ethnic identity rather than her religious identity to think about the ways in which this hybridization was happening. 
and also thinking about how then some of the work in which Kamala Khan is portrayed, the language that she uses, the imagery that we see, is also very important to narrative change theory, right? So if we hit you over the head over and over again that Kamala Khan is Muslim, which is true, it minimizes all the other things that are going into our identity, that's going into the writing, that's going into the artwork. And so for me, this is a way to pull some of that other material out and allow a closer reading beyond or outside of the lens of religion, which is funny because I'm actually the religion scholar on the volume, but it's a separate conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was, it, I think it, it, it just was so well written and, and I think really highlighting a, a, an important point too. And especially because religion, I, I think it really was evident in most of the chapters or tackled in various ways by different figures. Um, and Jessica, in the same section in part two, you have a really interesting piece um, on the idea of like, cyborgs using Donna Haraway's idea and also I, I guess in some ways transhumanism and Miss Marvel, which I thought was super fascinating. So can you tell us a little bit about um, your contribution to the edited volume? Sure. Yeah. And Hussein, I love hearing that angle. I don't know if I've ever heard you describe your chapter that way in particular, because um, that's really, I, I feel like mine is is similar. And like you were saying before, but just from a, from a different angle in that um I'm I'm looking I'm I'm advocating Ms. Marvel as kind of a both and figure as the title suggests right um, and trying to dig a little bit more deeply into um, some of the negative representations um, especially at the time that we were working with this material of um, Muslims in pop culture but then also looking into the ways that she's so much more than that um, and. I think what was most I was I was I'm most fascinated. One of the things I, I work with and that I'm working on right now as well is um, representations of women's bodies. Um, as I was mentioning with um, my dissertation work, so one thing that I was especially wanting to look into with her is the fact that she was quote unquote both a cyborg and a goddess. Um, and I had done a lot of work with Donna Haraway for my dissertation. So the fact that um, she had this quote unquote religion, this quote unquote goddess aspect, right? That she was very upfront about her religion, but also um, trying to negotiate a lot of different aspects of her identity as a techno-cultural youth, right? But she was trying to be all of that at once, right? And then her body felt kind of out of control, <laughs> right? When she was first trying to figure out how her superpowers worked. Um, so not only is she, as I was mentioning at first, kind of battling these stereotypes with her body, but she's also... Um, trying to be as much as she can as once um, and, you know, maintain all of these different forces kind of battling her from the outside um, as well. So, um, and then one of the things I was getting at and the reasons I was fascinated by her is, as I mentioned in my essay, I don't know how familiar either of you are with the work of Donna Haraway, but one of her most famous essays says, I would rather be a cyborg than a goddess. And she has later revised that. But what I loved about Ms. Marvel is that she was both and, right? Um, she was a cyborg and a goddess. And how did she accomplish that, right? Um, how, what did she have to, to fight to be able to, and even within her own body, to be able to, to unify, unify her superpowers and do good work uh, in the world um, and help out in the world, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think when when I read um, the quote that you mentioned that you used from Donna Haraway of the idea of being a cyborg versus a goddess, there's also the sense that so much of feminism has tended to take a more of a secular approach. And so the idea of introducing a figure like Miss Marvel, who does have a religious identity, and how does religion, um, you know, um, and, you know, like feminism and religion, or particularly Islam, interact with each other, right, which is another thread that's weaving through some of the articles that are discussed, especially in terms of fashion choices, and the idea of mm-hmm. um, fashion and um, politics and resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I was, yeah, and I was also fascinated with the fact that she's a shapeshifter as yeah. well, right? Um, and that's kind of her, and she has to be, right? So how do you shapeshift rather than code switch, as I, as I said at the end? Um, how do you kind of integrate your identity? Um, yeah, it's fascinating. It was so great to hear you say, to, to make that introduction, Hussein, because I think we're doing more similar than different, of course. Well, process. you know, just I think that's the great thing about working on an edited volume, especially when you get along with your co-editor, is, you know, we're we're, yeah. we're a conversation throughout the entire thing in ways that maybe we're not necessarily conscious of. But again, seeing the whole thing come together, I can see how I'm responding to your essay, perhaps subconsciously, and several of the other contributors. You know, I, I, I think... I don't necessarily know if my essay is uh, something I would have written absent reading everybody else's essays and thinking about how I fit into that larger scheme. And of course, all the conversations you and I had about why we're so uh, attracted to Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then working on the introduction together as well. (sighs) That was Um, a hoot. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, it really was. <laughs> and that's the that's the one great thing about doing an edited, edited volume like this is we did get to read everybody's and respond to them in a way that other people didn't necessarily. So I agree with you. I think there was a lot of um, a lot of response and integration going on in each of our essays, especially. And as a reader, I could totally I mean, I could feel it. And I think that it resonates in terms of the way things are woven together and the way that people are engaging each other's work. And I, so I think um, everybody um, has just done such a great job in, in synchronizing intentionally or not. But um, they, it has aligned quite well and it's beautiful to read. Um, one of the things to say that I wanted to ask you about as someone who's located, you know, in religious studies and Islamic studies, um, I think now a lot of people who do pop culture are engaged with um, comic books, particularly broadly in religious studies. I don't tend to see it so much in Islamic studies. So I wonder if you had any thoughts about, you know, the relationship between Islam and how we're broadly conceived and, you know, um, comic books particularly and, you know, how, what, what is that relationship if there is one or if there isn't one, what would you want readers to take away from this edited volume? Yeah, Shabana, I think you're right. I, th- I don't know necessarily if people who do Islamic studies necessarily are looking at pop culture in the same way. At the same time, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, is that I am co-editing a volume on Muslims and popular culture right now, and there are lots of people who are doing this work. Uh, but comics has been a big blind spot. Uh, at the same time, um, I was part of a, a volume, I contributed to a volume called Muslim Superheroes, which looked at uh, Muslim comics across cultures. And I actually looked at an Indian comic in that one called Sufi Comics. Um, and so... I think that people are doing this work, and I I will also ask Jessica to chime in here, but it felt like when I was 
looking for material on Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan, none of it was coming from Islamic studies. There was a little bit from religious studies, uh, but most of it was coming from so many other disciplines. Now, the great thing is, of course, Islamic studies, in my opinion, uh, is at its best is really so multidisciplinary that I have no problem. I would have no problem pulling from literary studies and uh, fashion studies and pop culture studies to bring that in. But I think there's also a certain type of insularity uh, that happens in all disciplines. Uh, But Islamic studies has been uh, so, I think, and and this sounds like a a gross generalization, but it's been fairly text-focused for so long that we still see a lot of that in terms of how we understand what is permissible to study or analyze about Muslims and the ways in which they live their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jessica, do you have any thoughts on this, particularly coming from, um, you know, from comic book studies and now engaging in religion and Islam? Yeah, I, I think I don't have so much to say on that in particular because my entree into Ms. Marvel was just being so happy that she was representing and complicating, uh, you know, from my perspective, a, a group that had not, that was not currently being treated fairly and their rhetoric was not complicated enough. Right. So I don't know if I can speak specifically to the religious studies um, angle on that. Comics as well is very, comic studies as well is very interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. And my grounding is also a lot in cultural studies, which is very interdisciplinary as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder if we could shift a little bit to some of the ideas of part three, which is really around teaching and pedagogy and anti-racist pedagogy. And also while reading the acknowledgements for the book, I, I saw that both of you have taught this in various capacities and community spaces to um, perhaps university, but also other education um, students who you are educating. So I wonder if you have, you know, either share some experiences or, you know, suggestions for how people may think about using Miss Marvel um, in, in, you know, a diversity of courses, you know, it could be anything, but what your experience has been with that process. So go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Great, Jessica. You know, I, I do thank you for pointing out part three, which really does focus on, uh, pedagogy and resistance. Um, I think all the essays in there are fantastic with, with tips and tricks. Uh, but I think it's also, again, very disciplinary person, uh, situated. So, for example, uh, as much as I appreciated for, uh, Winona Landis's article on anti-racist pedagogy using Ms. Marvel, um, some of that I don't know if I get integrated in a religious studies classroom, but it gave me enough ideas to think about, well, where are, for example, we can talk, I can talk with my students, where are the black characters in this arc of Ms. Marvel? Now, they do appear in other arcs, and, and this, the world of Miss Marvel does become very multiracial, very multi-ethnic. Uh, but for the arc we're looking at, it's not there. This is often the arc I have my students read. So it does become a space to talk about some of these issues. Uh, the flip side of it is, is I use, uh, for my own teaching, I rely heavily on Diane Moore's framework of religious literacy and thinking about questions of power and how do we overdetermine religion uh, in spaces when we're, when we're simply trying to talk about people's day-to-day life, how do we over or under-determine religion? And 
in this first arc, one thing that I and I have I didn't write about it here, but I've, I'm finding very effective in my own teaching is there is in the first 19 issues uh, first uh, that we're looking at, there are really only a handful of explicit references to Khan being Muslim. Uh, in the first issue, she talks about a Quranic verse that her father uh, taught her, which is whosoever saves a life, it's as though they saved all of humanity. Um, and uh, there's mention of her imam, her religious leader, uh, throughout the series, but they're very sort of soft. They're not. They're not highlighted. And again, I think it's ways that you can tell that this is a Muslim writing it because this is the way a Muslim would talk. We would say these words, but then we don't need to give a whole excursus about them, right? It's just it's assumed this is how we talk. We're done. We're good, and we move on from there. And so, really thinking about the ways in which people who have a religious identity how they perceive themselves versus how we perceive them or want them to be perceived. So those have been sort of two places that I found very rich for myself uh, to talk about this text and elicit different responses from my students. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, I usually end up teaching her in a very gen ed oriented classroom. My comics class that I teach here has become a gen ed class. So I'm teaching it to people just all over the place, some of them who have never read comics before. Um, and and a lot of them who have not encountered, I mean, Goshen College is in Indiana, um, and we do get people from all over the world and all over the nation here, but we do also get a lot of people who have not met people different than them. So it is a great, great text to complicate assumptions that people might have um, about um, women of color, even, you know, not just um, Muslims in the U.S., but women of color as well. Um so for for me, it's close. I think it's closer to Winona Landis's essay where she talks about it in a composition classroom as well. Um, and and the work that it can do to help people just complicate their thinking and complicate their stereotypes. Um, that's most of where I've taught it. I look forward to at some point maybe bringing it into higher level classes um, as well. But for now, I just love watching the work that it can do for students who don't have a very broad perspective of how things exist, how, um, of, of how people different than them uh, work in the world um, and can be complicated. And I think um, one thing that's so great about her, um, about this book, um, not just the writing, but the illustration in that first story arc as well, um, with Alfona and the little Easter eggs he throws in and the humor he throws in. Um, if this is a really, really challenging perspective for a student, um, it's hard not to laugh as well um, and loosen up a little bit um, if any of those perspectives are, if any of their perspectives um, and beliefs are challenged in there. So it opens up a space, the humor within it opens up a space to, um, to talk about things that might be, might be anxiety inducing for some some of those students who are a little bit more conservative. And Jessica, I think you hit something that makes teaching with comics fun, which is it really is engaging our students in a couple of different modalities, right? It's the written word, 
shorter, more direct, more punchy than what they're used to in, a, let's say, an academic article, a journal article. Uh, but it's also the visual cues that they have to learn how to read. Um, and I find my students grow a lot with learning how to read comics in the implied spaces. Uh, what's happening between panels? What are the stories they're telling themselves as to what's happening? And then getting them to think about why they're telling them the, themselves that story. And how does that fit into their own understanding of the world? I, I found it. I find them just to be wonderfully uh, self-reflective uh, if you can get the students to open up about some of these questions. Absolutely. And just the, the number of different, visually, the number of different versions of characters that are out there, right? I mean, she's got this, this her brother, Amir, who just looks like a particular stereotype that students without a very broad perspective of what Muslims in America look like, they might have a kind of knee-jerk reaction to what Amir looks like. And then he ends up delivering like the best feminist takedown when somebody tries to attack his sister at the end of that first story arc as well. Um, so just the way Way, I totally agree with you. And it, again, it's one of the beautiful, beautiful things about comics is that the power of the visual when it's put to good use and when the language of comics is put to its best use, right? It's incredibly complicated. Um, and as long as students slow down enough to actually learn how to read that language um, and read comics at the level of complication, that it deserves rather than saying, oh, it's comics, I can read it fast. Um, I, I completely agree with you, Hussein, they're, they just, their brains are just, their minds are kind of blown. <laughs> and they do a lot more complicated thinking in a lot of different areas. And, and if I may, I, I teach religion and pop culture. Um, it's a huge, you know, first year class and it's one of our intro classes. And um, uh, the last few years that I've taught the course, um, I've used Miss Marvel um, and I've just had kind of really amazing experiences and namely for all the things that you're saying. And also, I think for some of the points that uh, Kristen Peterson in, in the same section is talking about. Um, and I use it for this section, my discussion on feminism and pop culture. And so I think just the kind of conversation around Islamic feminism, but also to have Carol Danvers in kind of the first few pages and then the arc of, you know, Miss um, Marvel. Marvel and the idea of clothing and representation. Um, the students really, like comic books, you really have to read, right? You have to engage and it's kind of a different work. And the students love it. But, and I think this ties really to part four, part four of the book. I'm, I, I just find that it elicits so many different responses from different genders in the space that I teach in. Um, and this is really around kind of the idea that comic books are, you know, stereotypically associated with a particular a fandom base that's gendered in perhaps heteronormative ways. And so I've often had students, especially, you know, um, you know, white male students, for instance, put up their hand in lecture and say, like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with a, a Muslim superhero. And I'm like, that's exactly the point. Right. Um, and so I think <laughs> that the section on fangirls and fanboys and the culture of fandom was such a good way to kind of also get at another point, which is like, you know, who, read com who reads comics books and why is it particularly interesting that you have a, a Muslim superhero that, you know, is not presented in particular ways that maybe, you know, um, superheroes that are women were presented historically, right, in hypersexualized ways. And all of a sudden they have to contend with the aesthetics of it, the art of it, but also the storyline. And they really have to bring themselves to, to think about it and then think about on top of that Islamic feminism if one wants to approach it that way. 
I, Shubana, I think it's such a, an important point, uh, challenging the notions of fandom. I think f- for me, it's, and I haven't, I hadn't thought about this until you mentioned it just now, but thinking about how we ascribe expectations on religion and the ways in which we ascribe expectations on fandom, right? And as we see in part four of the book, uh, as both uh, Nick Pumphrey and Aaron Cashin point out, is that fandom is much more diverse. It is not white males uh you know there's that stereotype of the comic book guy from the simpsons of the of the white guy sitting alone in his mother's basement which i think is both unfair to the industry and unfair to the fans uh we see large numbers of women for many years this is not a recent phenomenon uh who do identify uh we see a whole subculture of, of blurred black nerd subculture who talk about comics uh uh, amongst other things, obviously, but this is a, a way I think. I think what Miss Marvel does is open up and accept the reality that this is who your fandom is. So how do you tell the stories of your fandom as well? Uh, and I think Miss Marvel is really a pivotal point. Um, you know, we can talk about Miles Morales, who comes a little bit earlier as a uh, Latina uh, Spider Man. Uh, but it's really Miss Marvel who opens the way for uh, stories about Shuri, Black Panther's sister, or Ironheart, the woman from Chicago who replaces Tony Stark as Iron Man. Uh, so I think that what Miss Marvel is doing is not just tapping the zeitgeist uh, of what's happening, uh, the zeitgeist, but it's also very, uh, from a commercial perspective, but also, this is where capitalism serves to, to change discourse a little bit, right? So we can talk about the commercial interest also serving a social interest here. I also love that she's a fangirl too, yeah. right? <laughs> so yeah, she's, she's complicated. The character herself is complicating um, all of that, that, that history of, of fandom within comics as well. And you see this when she meets Wolverine, she's kind of fangirling over Wolverine, but yeah. Right, right. for other people <laughs> who appreciate and, and um, know these uh, these characters really well, right? And I think just you know with what's happening, um, and I and I it's 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 interesting, right? Because it is consumeristic and it is capitalistic and commodification. But yeah, all the Marvel spinoffs, all the new characters that are both being um, visually made into films and um, series on Disney and all of this stuff, but also the comic books that are coming out, it's really you know um, shifting to a different market and it's adjusting diversity in numerous different ways in terms of race, ethnicity, culture, sexuality, gender. Um, and so I think, you know, this is a really an amazing tool and, and a book to help us kind of think through some of those. Um, and I'm sure more um, of these conversations will continue to happen. Um, is there anything else that you'd want to mention uh, about the edited volume that I may have missed before we kind of shift to our concluding questions? Yeah, I don't know. Hussein, if... It's um I yeah this was a long process it was it was five years I think Hussein that it took us to... oh God was it really that long yeah it really was I started counting when it finally came out so so yeah I it's I it came out in the middle of the pandemic and um it's it's been a while since I've delved into the whole thing you're probably um a little bit more familiar with it than I am Shabana but um. But yeah, I'm just really. It's been it's been wonderful to work with Hussein to do those those cross disciplinary conversations, and then also, 
it was a great process for me. I'm relatively new to comic studies as well. And Hussein is so, um, has a lot of that history of comics that I might not have had otherwise. So I learned a lot about that and working with him as well. Oh, thank you, Jessica. It was, it really was a pleasure just working with Jessica doing this anthology. Um, and thank you for the invitation to join you. And, and really our contributors were fan freaking tastic. I, I couldn't imagine they were super responsive. They took our feedback well, argued with us in the best way. Um, you know, I, you, you couldn't ask for a better group of people to work with on this volume. And um, yeah, it's wonderful having a co-editor like Hussein as well, because every time I, since it was such a long process, every time I just kind of got completely exhausted, Hussein could pick up and... Um, and vice versa. vice versa. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. I mean, do you have advice for folks who may be thinking of doing edited volumes or, you know, is there, is there a difference between doing an edited volume versus doing a um, special issue in a journal, like maybe some of our listeners are thinking about this and hearing kind of the positive experience you two have had. Do you have any suggestions for that? <laughs> uh, save a lot of time. <laughs> um, so I think for me personally, this is my personal work style, is that I know I, I, I mean, I could probably edit a volume or a special issue by myself, but it would drive me and my contributors up the wall. Um, I think finding a co-editor um, and I have a, I have a, couple of projects that I'm working on where I do have co-editors, uh, but who complement your skill set, who you get along with, um, has just been great. And we can have honest conversations, you know, uh, especially now there's a project I'm working on and during, uh, we've been working a lot during the pandemic. And, uh, you know, if they, if you can't talk to them about what's going on, if it's a purely professional relationship, I don't think you can get really anywhere because you're going to keep frustrating each other um so having those open lines of communication has been great um i again i personally and jessica i'd love to hear your experience but as jessica mentioned we reached out to people we knew for this volume in the first round and i know there's mixed advice about whether you reach out to people you know or don't know because how do you push people um my experience has always been i prefer to work with people i know because i feel like there's enough respect with the people I would reach out to that if it's not working for them, they'll tell me early enough that I can move on rather than ghosting me. And so I feel like working with people I know right. is just, uh, or people who come highly recommended. You know, I, I think um, Keisha Ali, who's at, at BU, had recommended uh, somebody to me who's just worked out brilliantly. And I would, you know, that, that sort of trust is really important. And I think just trust in, just make sure it's a topic that you really, really want to delve into. I mean, like I said, it was it was helpful to me being new to comic studies. This whole process gave me a lot more grounding than I'd had before I started. Um, and then just trust that as long as you are working with good people who you trust, it will come together, I think. Um, yeah, the, the panic, <laughs> working with a co-editor helps you not panic as much as something's not going to work or something's not going to come in. And then, you know, we shaped it like we were talking about. We, we, we wrote our introduction after we had seen what everything was, um, and shaped it from there. So yeah, I would say just, just trust in the process as long as you do. Have yeah, it's funny you are mentioning the introduction because that process is interesting. Obviously, you know, when you write the introduction, you're talking about all the essays that are in your volume. But we actually went back also to our thread of emails that we started exchanging at the beginning of the project, trying to describe what this project was to each other. And that actually, I mean, we cleaned it up and made it more consistent, but that actually is part of the introduction yeah. as well. 
Uh, so you can actually see how our thought process developed in this email thread that then ends up in the introduction. Right. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Good point. Um, I was just going to say, you could really do tell that you've done something great. And then there was, um, um, it, the collaboration was a positive one because I think it's on the pages of, of, of the book and it was fantastic to read and I enjoyed it so much and, and I'm excited to, to use it in my own teaching process around Miss um, Marble. Um, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time and I know it's also the beginning of the year and there's a lot going on. Um, before I let you both go, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, things that you may be working on. I know it's the pandemic and we're all in survival mode too, so hopefully part of it is that you're taking a break and taking care of yourself. Um, but are there things that perhaps you're working on before everything happened or things that you're hoping to get returned to at some point down the road? Jessica, maybe you could start. Sure, yeah. I am working on a book manuscript of my own right now um, as part of the Routledge Gender and Sexuality and Comics series that um, Frederick Collaert is the series editor for. So it's a manuscript about representing women in graphic fiction. Uh, that's the current working title. Um, and it's, again, like I was talking about at the beginning, it's it's focused on the way women are represented, women's bodies specifically are represented in comics, um, which I've always been fascinated with. Um, so I, Ms. Marvel may be part of that, but as the manuscript is shaping up, um, it's looking like uh, she's not going to fit. <laughs> um, so I think... Um, it's going to be four main texts at this point. Um, Ebony Flowers' Hot Comb, Tilly Walden on a Sunbeam, Emile Ferris, My Favorite Thing is Monsters, and then Chris Ware, Building Stories. Um, and I'm examining the ways that, that female bodies are uh, represented and, and work within the language of comics um, uh, and are, are drawn and written and, and you know, move within the world of comics, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, academically, I've got a couple, uh, more than a couple of things working on. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm co-editing a volume on Muslims in popular culture with Christian Peterson and, uh, co-editing another volume on Muslims in North America with Huma Mohibala and Vincent Biondo. And I'm also, uh, authoring with my friend, Precious Muhammad, uh, a book on Muslims in America and questions of race. And a couple of book chapters, one on Muslims in museums and one on charity, teaching the critiquing the ways in which we teach charity and charitable giving in Muslim traditions. And then non-academically, I'm working on uh, a documentary, a couple of museum projects, and a independent movie. So, oh, that's awesome. Do you want to give us a sense of what the movie is, or is that top secret at the moment? Oh, uh, the no, no, no. We're, we'll we'll be fundraising. So you know, as you, if anybody checks out my webpage, you'll see fundraising appeals for it. It's uh, it's an independent movie. It's looking at um, it's a fictionalized account of wrongful arrests of uh, Muslims under terrorism laws, mm. and so tracing one fictional character uh, through that process. Okay, that sounds awesome. Well, um, that um sounds awesome. To both of the projects we're working on. Um, and I wish you both good luck with everything. Um, just but most of all, I'm so grateful for your time today. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to talk about the new book. Thanks so much, Shivana. And thanks for reading the book so carefully. I think uh, in academia, a lot of us uh, feel like we don't have enough time to read. <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't know a lot of people who've really read through the whole thing carefully. So thank you so much for inviting us. And thanks so much for, for reading. Thank you both. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Take care. You too. Yeah.
And that was my conversation with Jessica Baldanzi and Hussein Rashid about their fantastic co-edited volume, Miss Marvel's America, No Normal. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, stay well. <laughs>